0: Okay. Whoa, we're definitely recording. <laughs> no question we are recording. New York City Live. Oh, yeah. I love it. That's pretty cool, actually. Um,
1: that can just be the sound bite for New York. Yes. Yeah, the exactly. sort of traffic so, so. Wow. backdrop. Yeah, it's interesting because I do, you know...
0: Do a lot of Walking, ideally, is a state in which the mind, the body, and the world are aligned as though they were three characters finally in conversation together. Three notes suddenly making a chord. Those words come from Rebecca Solnit's beautifully written book, Wanderlust, A History of Walking. As a human race, we have so many methods of travel. Horse, train, car, plane. And as it's 2015, I'm still waiting for those hoverboards we were promised.
2: Stop! Little girl! Little girl! Stop! Look, I need to bore you. Cover board.
0: And of course, we can walk from one place to another. And while walking can help us get from point A to point B, it can also be about much more than just covering a physical distance. As Rebecca Solnit says, most of the time, walking is merely practical, the unconsidered locomotive means between two sites. To make walking into an investigation, a ritual, a meditation, is a special subset of walking. In today's episode, we're going to explore those subsets. I have long been appreciative and fascinated with the benefits that can come out of a walk. It can be about creating a practice space for observation and attention, and then using that practice to inspire satisfaction, strengthen problem-solving skills, raise awareness and intuition, and shift our perspectives. And so this week, we are inviting you to take a walk with us. This show is not only a reflection of the importance of walking, it was also recorded while walking. While in New York City, I reached out to author and professor Alexander Horowitz. She wrote a whole book on insights gained through walking with other people. And so who better to take a walk and talk with than the woman who wrote a book on walking? We get that many of you listen to this show in your car, on the treadmill, on a run. And that said, this week, if you can, take a walk with us. Literally, if you need to go ahead and press pause to get ready, okay. Put on some shoes, a jacket if need be, and then let's head out the door. Let's take a walk together and see what we find. You got your keys? Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. This week, for our 25th episode, we are going for a walk through New York City. Author Alexander Horowitz helps us explore the power of paying attention to change our lives, and we hear from listeners who attended our events in Vancouver and New York. Spoiler alert, they loved them. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host.
1: I would say the thing I would encourage first is that we don't walk too fast. Okay. Right? Like because in fact a lot of walking.
0: As I said, I while in New York City New last New week, too. I was wow. fortunate enough to meet up with author and professor yeah. Alexander Horowitz. Yeah, I think, I think we'll- Alexander earned her PhD in cognitive sciences and currently teaches at Columbia University. I reached out to her because of my interest in her most recent book, On Looking, 11 Walks with Expert Eyes. The book is structured around 11 walks she takes, mostly in her Manhattan neighborhood, with 11 different experts. From an artist, to an urban sociologist, to a physician, to a sound designer, all with the intention of experiencing these walks as they do. What they see, how they see it, and why. Her publisher, Simon & Schuster, says that onlooking, quote, shows us how to see the spectacle of the ordinary. And they call the book, Nutrition for the Considered Life. As I have long been fascinated with the practice of presence, attention, and observation through walking, I looked forward to our meeting with great anticipation.
3: I see you shiver with anticipation.
2: The
0: The plan was simple. Meet up in Manhattan, go for a walk, have a conversation about walking, and record the whole thing. Like if I were, I mean, if you were to put the concept of the book into, let's say, a few words? Would you say it's about, like, paying attention? Would that be? Or is it about presence? Or are they the same thing?
1: I would probably use the phrase paying attention, except for that that makes people's eyes roll back in their heads and then they immediately don't pay attention. (laughs) Because I think we don't know how to pay attention very well, or we're not equipped to. Or we think it's some mentally taxing thing when actually it's just a matter of shutting off some of the uninteresting streams in your head. But I think that's what I got interested in is paying attention or bringing back like a childlike ability to notice the things that we have just assiduously tuned out Mm. and therefore have lost kind of the ability to see after a while. Like as we're walking by...
0: Netflix recently had a big hit with their original series Daredevil. Daredevil tells the story of lawyer by day Matt Murdock, who uses his heightened senses from being blinded as a young boy to fight crime at night on the streets of New York City's Hell's Kitchen neighborhood. The show is a fairly on-the-nose depiction of the belief that people who are born without sight or lose it in life will strengthen their other senses to make up for this deficit. They observe using multiple senses and in many ways see more than a sighted person.
1: I mean, I I know that you're blind, but you see so much. How?
0: There are other ways to see. As we also talked about in our bias episode, we often come to lean on what we know, what we see, what we've experienced and what we think as truths. And just as we spoke to last week in our wisdom episode, we start to act from these truths as if they were answers instead of just bits of information. This is what I find so fascinating about this process of paying attention and using walks as a practice field to nurture this cognitive muscle. So many of us get into our tracks in life, and while we may be paying attention, we are only paying attention to what we already know, looking for what we already suspect is there, validating the information we have. Think about how limited this makes us in our ability to problem solve, be creative, be innovative, or heck, just find those car keys we misplaced.
2: Joseph, when you lose something, do you use your eyes to look for it? Or do you use your mouth? (laughs) Open your eyes! Look for it!
0: So is the goal to expand how much we pay attention to? Are we saying this is about paying attention to everything? Well, no.
1: I think it's impossible to pay attention. If the mandate is to pay attention to everything around right. you, you're going to fail because really our brains does, don't work that way. Our sensory systems don't work that way. I think, I think that that exercise is a perfect one because it sort of reproduces in small scale what the experience I think we all have, which is when we travel someplace new, when we're tourists. We're like, oh, look, the roads are so narrow, you know, or, or yeah. like, like people's pants are so short here. And like, we want to wear belts or whatever it is. And, and we're keyed into all these levels of things, which represent basically our kind of seeing things but putting it away in our ordinary life. And now, in this new place, when we're in vacation mode, we're able to see what are really ordinary things in a super new way. Right, But you don't try to see everything at once. I think it's that you just try to be able to move that attention muscle at your own will, as opposed to being moved about by, only by the environment.
0: And so the first part of this attention walking, as I'll call it, is to be the conductor of your attention.
2: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. May I have your attention, please?
0: Most people's attentions are being grabbed by the most dominant thing or the newest thing in their environment. And when that is the case for you, you are not in control of your own awareness, which in turn equals you are not entirely in control of your own actions. Your awareness is being hijacked by the shiny penny or the loud Harley Davidson. Through this practice of moving our attention at our own will, we are not just learning how to see, we are training ourselves to observe.
1: But I think observing is taking a particular stance toward what there is to see.
0: So adding a mental, pro- like a mental process that says how you feel about something or what it means or yep, something like that. A
1: directionality, right? Okay. Like you already has a valence, and you're either look- looking to sort something up, out. You're looking to see what there is. You're making a determination. Yeah. So I think that's more active. And I, we were a little bit
0: of. And through observation, we are actively processing the world around us which not only helps us to better understand it, it also deepens our experiences and in turn increases our ability to recall them. Right. So is, is that part of it?
1: That yep. you- you're giving the opportunity for impact, right? Okay. I think that's what it is. It's, you're, you're going to, because you're coming with that direction that you're looking, you're going to notice... And then you're going to rehearse, in the psychologist jargon, you're going to rehearse that you're noticing. You're going to say, I'm noticing that thing now. I'm noticing the cart. There's somebody who's broken down, you know, and so that's creating a cluster of traffic and noise around her on the road. Like, uh, now I'm talking about it. Now we're (laughs) we're going to look at it and reify that and listen around it. And we're going to be able to re... If we... Amazing noise, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: I get a lot of that in San Francisco. The uh, the, <laughs> so, the Harley Davidson
1: is amazing. That's the one that blankets everything.
3: And you know, Brett, if I could just jump in here real quick, if walks are an opportunity to shift our focus and appreciate new experiences, then we should really turn our attention to that loud motorcycle and the busy New York streets. That seemingly obnoxious and overpowering noise. Reminds me of the work of American composer John Cage. Now, while Cage is important for his pioneering use of chance music, which is literally rolling dice to compose, or his part in legitimizing electroacoustic music, John Cage is probably best known for his take on sounds. Well, actually, silence. What does silence, in other words, mean to you in this? In a- well, well, silence
2: actually doesn't exist as something which doesn't have sounds in it. In other words, there always are sounds and there's no, no silence situation without them.
3: Here is John Cage being interviewed on station KPFK back in 1963. This I discovered by going into a, an anechoic chamber at Harvard
2: University. And in that room I heard uh, two sounds, whereas I expected to hear nothing. I expected to hear, uh, quote, silence, unquote. Mm-hmm. So when I got out of the room, I asked the engineer in charge what those two sounds were. I thought there was something wrong with the room. And he said, describe them, and I did. One was high and one was low, and he said, well, the high one was your nervous system in operation and the low one was the circulation of your blood. So then I realized that without intending to do it, I was constantly producing two sounds. Therefore even if I remained silent, I was, under certain circumstances, musical."
3: So as many people probably know, John Cage is most famous for his piece called 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds. Here's how it goes. An audience assembles for a musical performance and applauds as the performer comes out and sits at their instrument of choice. Originally, the piece was written for piano. He or she then spreads the music out in front of them, stretches their hands, adjusts their seat. And then they close the piano lid and start a clock. And over the next 4 minutes and 33 seconds, the musician doesn't play a single note. I know what you're thinking, but you would be wrong to call 4 minutes and 33 seconds a silent piece, because as Cage points out, we can't escape sounds. They're everywhere. As the composition moves on, and the performer continues to sit there, The audience's ears start to turn outward and hear sounds that we rarely take the time to notice. The hum of the air conditioner, the buzz of the lights, the squeak of a chair, people coughing, feet rustling, and even some laughter as some audience members get uncomfortable with the stillness in the room. So by co-opting the performance space, a place where we expect to listen intently, Cage forces us to acknowledge and appreciate the sounds that are ever-present in our lives but are either ignored or dismissed as being a nuisance. And this brings us back to traffic, Brett. In a place like New York City, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the volume of cars, trucks, buses, people. But according to Cage, the decibel level of a street doesn't mean that everything is just noise. In fact, Cage would say the opposite. Here is John Cage, later in his life, speaking from a room overlooking 6th Avenue.
2: The sound experience, which I prefer to all others, is the experience of silence. And the silence, almost everywhere in the world now, is, is um, traffic. If you listen to Beethoven or to Mozart, you see that they're always the same. But if you listen to traffic, you see it's always different. But
0: I also, there was something that in your, in your book, and I wrote it down, so I want to get it right here. It was uh, Charlie Eisman, right? Is that Yes, right? uh-huh. And he said, you were, talk- you were talking about like how you can't do this all the time, or you-, you don't always know what you're looking for. And he said, well, once you have an eye for these things, even when you're not looking for them, they jump out at you. And so I actually also see this as like practice, for seeing what you don't normally see, for catching things you don't normally catch. And then that actually benefits, I mean, that could benefit you in your business, right? You could be looking at a, at, a, at a business opportunity and everyone else sees it this way and you see this little nuance that you didn't see before. And it's not because you've been training yourself to see that nuance in business, it's because you've been training your mind to actually see nuances. Is that fair, you think? Absolutely. I feel like that's We've
1: been training our minds to be closed to all but the thing that we're ostensibly doing right right and so in our life that's like getting from a to b or doing this overarching thing which is not really what you're doing in every little moment you're like living your life you're walking down the street you're taking care of your child you're talking to your parents those are the things that we kind of aren't paying attention to and i think yeah, i've talked to some creative groups um who Do get a lot of charge out of this way of thinking. I don't think they would put it exactly that way as being able to notice the nuances. It is the kind of just breaking out of there being only one way to look at a problem creatively, right? Right, Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And that was here's the thing about the mind. Once you can take it to a place, you can always use your imagination to get back there. If you can see the world from a new perspective, or through the mind of another, you can always tap back into that in the future.
1: Even on my own block, I see th- new things now all the time, as a result of, as a result of just imagining other people's perspective. I don't even need everyone's perspective. Although that, I think that was a great kind of scaffolding, yeah. right? To be well, able. Well, I to would imagine. Something.
0: I mean, there's something to that, right? That idea that once you experience something in a way once your imagination is a pretty powerful tool to, to do that again right but i think once you've never done it you almost can't imagine what that would be like right I I do
1: I, well, we so just th- lost all that traffic noise d- did oh, you hear did. that that yeah, just that was happened really
0: cool was that
1: <laughs> it was that, just that i was think like where right, yeah where the where that building finally
0: and we've been overwhelmed the whole time i know yeah it's really a major
1: difference right i feel a little yeah. more relaxed i do me too <laughs>
0: One of the things you say in your, in your book, and I'm totally paraphrasing now, but it's something along the lines of, you know, when you can have, like if you, if you're always just focused and you're not opening up and not, then, you know, it, your day to day life kind of just goes by and you don't, you don't register a lot of stuff. And I think that's, you know, we recognize that in a lot of people, right? People who just blink and 10 years are gone. Have you noticed a difference in the last four years as far as how you've experienced days or even just how time seems to pass or I don't know what it might be, but have you noticed a, you know, a tangible difference and what are some of those differences?
1: Yeah, I have a lot more satisfaction in... like daily satisfaction in, as opposed to frustration in those moments which are... Between moments, which actually turns out to be like a large part of your life, you know, it's the moment when you're getting somewhere, or the time when you're um, waiting, time, yeah. or the time when you're <laughs> when you're um, sort of between productive episodes or interesting engagements. All that sort of between time. Um, very. Rarely has it happened that that has just become what it used to be to me, which is, I think, kind of ordinary thing, which is sort of stressful and anxiety-provoking, and um, I need to turn to my phone or something to, to get myself, to distract myself from the horrible thing that's happening to me, which is I have this long walk because the subway is down or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't call this therapeutic, but I just, but all that happened was I realized, okay... Like, here's that time. I have an opportunity here to notice something. What's it going to be? What do I want to look at? Like, and, and that's a very you know, subtle shift that happened, but it feels very nice. Yeah. And it was-
0: In her book, Alexandra says, right now you are missing the vast majority of what is happening around you. You are missing the events unfolding in your body, in the distance, and right in front of you. Because life really is these moments between moments, isn't it? As we said way back in our Meaning of Life episode, this isn't it, is it. If you are saving your attention, your presence for these key moments in your life that you think are what matters, you are missing a lot of what matters. Studies show that we spend approximately 23,214 hours of our life washing clothes. 653 hours waiting for trains, 38,003 hours eating, 46,800 hours doing housework, and up to 20 weeks on hold. Oh, I'm sorry, may I put you on hold for just a moment? Sure. A New York Times article entitled Why Waiting is Torture wrote, Americans spend roughly 37 billion hours each year waiting in line. The dominant cost of waiting is an emotional one. Stress Boredom—that nagging sensation that one's life is slipping away—but life isn't slipping away. It is actually jumping up and down, happening just all action. around you. I don't know. I guess just ap- appreciating what's around you, and maybe finding something inter- like you know, finding something interesting to appreciate, as opposed to like you were saying, like all these moments. I mean, if you were, if we were to look at our life. And we were to add up the hours that we spend Walking from place to place, waiting in line I mean, I would, I would think these moments that we think don't matter Are, you know, 80% of our life or something And so if you actually find a way to experience them differently I would think that actually adds a sense of Like you said, appreciation, satisfaction, gratitude Just to your life because you're actually I mean, maybe it does go back to presence Maybe you're present for more of it
1: I think that that's all that life is made of. It's just the stuff of what are, you, what are you able to focus on and appreciate? There's no one thing which is a good thing to everybody, right? Everybody yeah. defines what are the good things. And maybe, maybe it's a way of saying we, we're kind of limited. We've been limiting ourselves and our definitions of what are good things. Like having a family, having good friends, having a good dinner, having success at your job, something like that. That's, maybe people would agree at that, but what about like having... A really pleasurable walk home where you notice something you hadn't noticed before or being able to tell somebody about seeing something you hadn't seen even if it's a it's you know it's not a thing that's gonna rock the world what if those were your successes in your days in addition then you have a lot more opportunity for this satisfaction I'm talking about and I guess I feel some gratitude at having the equipment to do that yeah So
0: so what have you noticed so far on our walk together in this episode. What has come up for you? Maybe you've thought of something in a way you never thought of it before. Actually seen something around you that you never saw before. I remember noticing something in, on, uh, in my neighborhood in San Francisco, in the, it's in the sidewalk like that. And I noticed it. I had to be living in a neighborhood for six years, and, and there were more than one of them, and I was like, when did... I, I'm thinking in my head, like, when did those go there? And then I look, and they say, like, 1902 on them, and I'm like, oh, I guess, guess they were there.
1: Right, and I get a pleasure in that, right? It's, yeah. it's that question. If somebody doesn't get a pleasure in that, then they probably won't get a charge out of this approach, right? But I think that noticing that there's something there, apart knowing it's almost like seeing your own limitations and then being able to move through them a little bit. The limitation of my perception was such that I didn't notice that before. I didn't notice that I was living in a limestone building that had little shells of ancient sea animals in it. That's a little incredible to me. I didn't notice that. I was touching that wall every time I went in and out of that building. And so I can, you know, is a little bit humbling, but then at the same time, it's delightful to me. There's something yeah. else to see. Just to, You know, you don't want to have all figured it out already, no. right? Like that, What a horrible life that would be if you'd figured <laughs> it all out at 20. You want to have new experiences, and there, there are new sensory experiences just in front of you. So how nice that that's available.
0: John F. Kennedy once said, when power leads man towards arrogance, poetry reminds him of his limitations. When power narrows the area of man's concern, poetry reminds him of the richness and diversity of existence. When power corrupts, poetry cleanses. By these words, I see a walk as a form of poetry, a reminder of our limitations our richness and diversity, and at times, a way to cleanse our palate of all that we have decided we know.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting street for me because if we just pause for a second, the, this is 72nd, and I've never loved this street. And I think it's because you know I haven't paid good attention to it. The, it's, it's an unusual street in that it has a, a lot of these low-level businesses. Yeah. Actually, if I look, and you know, a bunch of them are sort of old. You can see from the font.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one, the cleaners, is really interesting.
1: Heather McLean. Heather it's not McLean. just the cleaners. It's Heather McLean. Awesome. Cleaners, right? Which makes you suddenly want to use them. Shoes, shirts, beautifully laundered, and beautifully is in Beautiful like a, a cursive, so you know that it's true. <laughs> I love it. <that. laughs> Right, but you, <laughs> you know that it's true. <laughs> but so, what's what's was useful about something like that book for me on a just daily level in in exactly that context of walking on the street is. We all have opinions of where we do or don't want to be, and are we oppressed and waiting or between? And this would be a street I'd find myself on, and just be like, oh, I just have to, I don't want to spend any time on this street. It feels oppressive. It's crowded. There are a lot, there's a lot of commerce. There's more traffic than on some of those side streets. But there are these things to look at. Yeah. And it's pleasing to me if Heather McLean...
0: In our life, this shows up not just with streets. We get to points where we don't want to spend any time listening to that person or working on that project or entertaining that idea or trying to better that part of ourselves because we've decided we know how it is and it's never going to change. And then we stop listening. We stop seeing. In many cases, we stop seeing people in our lives. I mean, for one, you obviously were actually at some point paying attention because you paid attention enough to decide you didn't like this street, right? (laughs) But then once you decided you didn't like it, it was almost like that was it. Like, you know, like I just
1: stopped seeing it. You stopped seeing
0: it, and then it was only when you almost made a different decision maybe not a decision to like it, just a decision to say, maybe there's more to it than i've seen would that be fair or what yeah, do you think yeah just that? to
1: let the scene speak for itself in okay. so uh, instead of already deci- instead of already knowing already deciding i think that's it it's we we feel at some point in adulthood maybe i'm taking myself as a stand in here maybe not everybody else is like this but that that we've sort of already know what there is to see mm-hmm. right and you're going to travel if you're going to see something new. Like that's what, if you want to right. be adventurous yeah. and really see something new, you have to travel to do that. And to some indeterminate place where someone else lives, lives their boring life and will travel to your country to see something new. And so I thought, oh, well, what if there's something new right here? Yeah. And instead of just being hit with the, veil, with the emo- emotional quality of this is good or bad all the time, just say like, it's, op- it's information.
0: What if you started seeing again? What if you let scenes and people speak for themselves again? For who they are now. For what they have to offer. I often find myself watching parents walk down the street with kids or carrying a child through the mall. And I notice how the parent is walking intently, eyes forward, clearly on a mission to get somewhere. And the child? The child is right where they are. Looking around at everything like it's brand new. And sometimes it is. But sometimes it isn't. Have you ever noticed that a kid can watch the same TV episode, YouTube clip, or movie over and over and over and over? That they will latch on to some simple act and want to repeat it over and over and over and over? One of my son's latest ones is he likes me to stand at the end of the bed. I'm the Incredible Hulk, and he is Captain America. And he runs into my chest bounces off of it, and falls back onto the bed. He will do this dozens of times in a row, over and over and over and over. We have yet to stop because he got sick of it. We have only ever stopped because we have somewhere else to be or my chest is bruised. Ow, quit it. And we will say to ourselves, well, of course kids can do it. I mean, things are so fresh in their eyes, or there's still so much for them to learn. People love this excuse. This idea that someone else is special, different than them. Well, of course, you can do it. We say that to ourselves or others as a way to excuse ourselves from our fear or our laziness. When the truth is, that ability kids have to experience everything fresh, it is still totally in all experience. of us. But I think what just struck me as you said that, which is really cool, because I am someone who loves to travel and I love new experiences. and. Is that when someone says, okay, well I, I wanna go to Paris because I want to see something new, that they go to Paris oh. and they give Paris the credit when it actually part of it is the fact that they're experiencing <coughs> Paris as new. Right. Right? So almost like a kid. Because the truth of it is, the reason that New York is not new to them is not because it's not new new stuff to see, it's cause they've, if they were to change like you did, if they change their perspective, all of a sudden th- you know, I mean, people could come to New York and just walk up and down 72nd and be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, I saw McLean's, right? Um, but yeah, right. So, I mean, that, that there's this idea that we think the place is stimulating when in actuality it might also be, if not only be. Our mentality of how we're experiencing it, right? Right.
1: Our willingness to to pay attention and yeah. perceive, and so actually that power is in us all along. Yeah, you right. have the power, <laughs> yes, <did>. my boy. Exactly. <laughs> right. right? Had
2: it all along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, will you help me? Can you help me? You don't need to be helped any longer. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. I have. Then why didn't you tell her before? Because she wouldn't have believed me. She had to learn it for herself. What have you learned, Dorothy?
0: So we hope you enjoyed this walk with us today. But more than that, we hope you paid attention. We hope you saw something fresh, heard something mysterious, maybe tapped into some feelings, both old and new. We hope you remember moments of this walk as vividly as I remember that Heather McLean sign. And most of all, we hope that this is just the beginning that you will take what you've experienced and learned today and apply it in your life and your business, that you will practice. And that the next time you find yourself with a little extra time, in need of a little extra inspiration, or caught in the minutia, you will remember this walk and perhaps choose to take another. (laughs) We're kind of signing off here from what street's that there? 72nd and what?
1: West End Avenue. West
0: End Avenue. And uh, I want to thank you, Alexandra, for taking the time to take a walk with me it's and talk. It's been invigorating. It has been invigorating, and I um, I will feel like now every time I'm in New York, I'm going to think about you because I'm going to think about these random things like
2: awesome.
0: like McLean's, and and, and, and uh, well, I was already thinking about bird's nesting and cracks. So um, and the
1: sound that a cart makes. That a cart makes when it when rolls it, when down when it the rolls street. down the street, right? Yeah. Well, well, that's good. It's yeah. become a positive association instead of just like a tiny annoyance. That's nice.
0: And, you know, when I make my, you know, probably not millions, but hundreds of thousands by starting my 72nd Avenue New York tour company, <laughs> I will definitely send you totally. some residual commission. Yeah,
1: that will be excellent.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Alexander. I appreciate the time today. And, my pleasure. Uh, I look forward to our next walk.
1: Me too. <laughs> that
0: was great. I want to extend a huge thanks to Alexander Horowitz for agreeing to meet with me and talk. Two weeks ago, she had no idea who I was or the show, and yet after one tweet, she emailed me back saying, quote, I sense I'd be happy to do it. She was open and gracious from the start and incredibly generous with her time. So do yourself a favor and get her amazing and beautifully written book, On Looking. And if you're a dog lover, you must check out her previous book, inside of a dog, which does truly manage to do that. The book gives you insights into how dogs view the world through both the signs of cognition and the perception of personal reflection. You kind of owe it to your dog to read it. As you no doubt know by now, last week I was in Vancouver and New York City for a few Where There's Smoke events, and they were a huge hit if I must say so myself, it was incredible to meet listeners face-to-face, but even more incredible was watching listeners meet each other and watching our community going from this virtual thing on the internet to real belly-to-belly conversations and friendships. I asked some people to share their experience at the events, and here is what some of them said. Hi, Brett. It's Tori Klassen. I attended your talk, your Where There's Smoke Talk in Vancouver this week, and I had a great time. I met so many great people, including yourself. I love the fact that, you know, meeting you in person is, was the same as uh, listening to your podcast, and I look forward to uh, hearing more, and I appreciate you uh, giving us your time.
2: Hey, Brett, Sinead here. Thanks so
3: much for coming out to Vancouver. We loved having you. It was Your talk was just so interesting. I wish I was listening more and tweeting less. So your advice uh, was like gold. I really uh, will be able to put that to work. Hi, Brett. Mark in Vancouver here. I wanted to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, you know, just in terms of community, the, the the people that showed up and the connections I made and conversations I had with people who were there, uh, I, I don't know, was seemed really profound and uh, and and important somehow. So, you know, there's a yearning in the world, and your uh, you're helping You're helping deal with, with, with that and making a positive contribution, so keep it up. Hopefully we can do that again another time soon, and anybody else who's uh, in a city where you're going to do a meetup, I encourage them to show up and, and participate. You're going to meet some interesting people, your tribe.
0: Brett, it's Becky Kotsafis, and I just have to say it was beyond
2: a thrill and a joy to meet up with you and the other where there's smoke listeners last night at the meetup in New York City uh, it's the first meetup that I've been to where it, it everyone was very engaged with one another wanting to speak very open very warm um, so it that's, I think, indicative of when everyone has a great connection to you and Nick and your show about character and positivity and just personal growth, you get like-minded individuals who also want to meet other good-hearted, like-minded individuals.
3: It was cool to meet Brighton in person, which, by the way, listeners, his voice sounds the same in person, in case you were wondering. And it was also cool to meet so many other fans... Because we connected not just about things that are on the show. We didn't just connect about the topics. We connected about other things, too. About our hobbies, about the fields we worked in, about where we had grown up. So the meetup had this weird way of making the internet just a little bit smaller. And I think that's all anybody could ask for. So thanks, Brett. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for their smoke. We've all got a few more friends out there now. Uh, hey, Brett. It's, uh, uh, Mick. And I had a... (laughs) I had a great time at the meetup, and I was thinking, you know, you're great, but where is Nick? He's pretty cool too, and I just hope next time I get to meet him, because he's probably really smart and awesome and attractive. So, next time bring Nick. Okay, bye. I would
0: be remiss if I did not acknowledge a few people. Bill McCaig and Mark Bussey in Vancouver, nothing happens there without you two. Huge thanks. For sponsoring my talk, thank you to Creative Mornings Vancouver in partnership with HCMA Architecture and Design and Tilt with support from GDC, CAPIC, and Nicely Antica Pizzeria. Within those orgs, thank you Daryl Condone, Jonathan Von Strebley, and Rick Edkin. And a big grazie to Nicely's Next Door for hosting our meetup in Vancouver the next night. Finally, in New York City, much gratitude to Jackie Rose for helping me find a location and providing me with the confidence that it would be a great event. We will be planning more events soon, and even sooner if you reach out. You want us to come to your town? Let us know. We want to visit, and there are lots of creative ways we can make it happen. Anywhere in the world, it is possible. Just reach out and say, hey, we want where there's smoke to visit. Okay, I got some things to say. Steve Pratt and the Pacific Content Team, thank you for the time and inspiration in Vancouver. Check out Slack Variety Pack Podcast for great insights and laughs wrapped in a burrito of sound. We had lots of Twitter love this week, to name a few. K Marcus, at Splash Mango, Ken Jeffrey, Mitchell Ballantyne, at Torrey Clausen, Ben Hulse, Matt Boyer, Chelsea McKenzie, Ray Z, and Sinead D'Souza, who live tweeted my Vancouver talk. Thank you all. A couple of brilliant iTunes reviews Nick Douglas said, One of the best podcasts out there. Brett makes you feel like you're hanging out with him, having discussions about things that really matter. The production quality is top-notch and one that other producers should listen to for inspiration. And Heather Parody wrote, To quote Chris Traeger, This is quite literally the best podcast I've ever heard. It's like eating a brownie, but one that's good for you. That literally is the most moving thing I've ever heard. Please keep the iTunes reviews coming, reading them keeps us going, they are literally the fuel for the show. To everyone else who also shared their passion for the show this week with others on social media by email, text, or word of mouth, you are awesome, gracias. Please find us on Twitter at Brett Gaeta, and at Podcast Monster and join our Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash WTS pod. Stay in the loop on meetups and all kinds of things by joining our mailing list. On your phone, text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website at www.wherethersmoke.co. While at the site, you can also link to show notes, which include links to all the clips used in the show. Where There's Smoke is mapped out, put on, laced up, guided, strolled, observed, paced, written, recorded, edited, and paid attention to by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in getting help making your podcast sound awesome, check out Nick at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me do a talk for your association or company or collaborating with me in any other way, send me an email at connect at smoke.co. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod, Dead in Canada, and Jazar. Finally, for a very special clip of the week, we bring you a deeply moving and modern rendition of four minutes 33 seconds performed by listener Jerome Taribi in Ghana. Well, that's it. Our 25th episode in the books. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.